story twelve of the thirteen travellers by hugh walpole this librivox recording is in the public domain story twelve bombastes furioso that year nineteen nineteen threw up to the surface because of the storm and disorder of its successive tidal waves many strange fish and of all that i encountered the strangest and most attractive and i venture to think the most typical of our times and their uncertainties was my friend bombastes furioso otherwise benedict jones i should certainly never have met him had it not been for peter westcott westcott somewhere in the spring of nineteen nineteen took for a time the very handsome rooms of robsart the novelist at horton's in duke street st james's it was strange to see peter in these overgrand over lavish rooms i had known him first in the old days when his reuben halliard and stone house had taken london by storm and when everything seemed set fair for his future then everything crumbled his child died his wife ran away with his best friend and his books failed i didn't hear of him again until nineteen fifteen when somebody saw him in france his name was mentioned on several occasions through the terrible years but nobody seemed to know him well he kept away apparently from everybody then on the very day that the armistice was signed i met him in the crowd about whitehall looking just the same as in the old days a little older a little stouter stocky and resolved and aloof and observant in a world as it had always seemed to which he only half belonged a sailor on leave in a country strange dangerous and interesting but this story is not about westcott to cut this prologue short then he asked me to come and see him and i went to the magnificent horton rooms not once not twice but many times i had loved peter in the old days i loved him much more now the story of those years of his life that immediately followed the war is a wonderful story i hope that one day he will give it to the world whether he does or no i saw in those summer months the beginning of the events that were to lead him back to life again to give him happiness and self-confidence and optimism once more to make him the man he now is in the story of that recovery benedict jones has his share but i must repeat this is benedict jones's story and not westcott's the first day that i saw jones was one lovely evening in april when peter's or rather ropesart's sitting-room was lit with a saffron purple glow and the clouds beyond the windows were like crimson waves rolling right down upon us across the pale glassy sky in the middle of this splendour jones stood a whisky and soda in one hand and a large meerschaum pipe in the other he was of course orating about something the first thing that struck me was his size it was not only that he was well over six feet and broad in proportion but there seemed to be in his large mouth his great head with its untidy mop of yellow hair his big red hands a spiritual size as well he gave one always the impression of having more fire within his soul than he could possibly manage he was fat but not unpleasantly so his clothes were comfortably loose but not disorderly 
his stomach was too prominent but the breadth of his chest saved him from unsightliness his face was a full moon red freckled light yellow eyebrows light yellow rather ragged moustache he was always laughing sometimes when he was astonished or indignant he was forever in the middle of the room orating somebody or something and his favorite attitude was to stand with his legs wide apart a pipe or a glass or a book in his extended hand his body swaying a little with the rhythm of his eager talk on this afternoon i remember he really seemed to fill the room words were pouring from his mouth in a torrent and i stood stopped by this flood at the door Westcott, lying back in a leather chair smoking listened a smile on his generally grave face something of the indulgent look in his eyes that one might give to a favored and excited child hello lister he cried jumping up come along this is captain jones bom let me introduce you to mr lester i told you to read to paradise years ago in france but of course you never have no i never have cried jones turning round upon me very suddenly seizing my hand and shaking it up and down like the handle of a pump how do you do how do you do i'm just delighted to see you i don't read much you know better for me if i read more but i've got to take exercise i'm getting fat then he wheeled round again but peter he went on suddenly taking a great draught from his glass it was the most extraordinary thing i swear it was just as i'm telling you the girl gave the man a look spat at him and ran for her life there were three men after her then one a vicious-looking little devil i sat down in the chair nearest to me and listened i heard a most astonishing story i'm afraid that i cannot remember at this distance of time all the details of it it had murder in it and rape and arson and every sort of miraculous escape and apparently so far as i could make it out jones had been a spectator of all that he described there were discrepancies in his narrative i remember about which i should have liked to question him but the words came out so fast and the narrator's own personal conviction in the reality of his story was so absolute that questions seemed an impertinence he stopped at last wiped his brow collapsed upon a chair finished his whiskey with a great sucking smack of approval dug his fingers into the bowl of his pipe struck matches that were one by one ineffective and lay scattered about him on the floor and then smiled at me with a beaming countenance that's a very good story bom said peter story cried captain jones contemptuously that ain't no story that's god's own truth every word of it he looked at me smiling all over his face i've had some very remarkable experiences he said you must have had i answered he did not i think on this occasion stay very long when he had departed i looked at westcott interrogatively that's a prince of a man said peter enthusiastically i don't know where i'd have been without him in france everyone loved him there and they were right what an experience he must have had there i said a little breathless oh that said peter laughing that was all lies from beginning to end lies i exclaimed yes said westcott he's known among his friends as bombastes furioso 
that's an unfair name really to give him because he's gentle as any suckling dove and all his wonderful stories are about somebody else's great deeds never about his own young harper was saying the other day that if only he would tell of some of his stories about himself his lies wouldn't be so tremendous but his natural modesty prevents him he's a dear fellow and the biggest liar in europe well of course i said rather doubtfully if he always tells lies it isn't so bad you know that you need never believe him it's the half-and-half -half liars that are so tiresome no peter interrupted that isn't quite fair lies isn't the true word he's all imagination far more imagination than either you or i will ever have lester he simply can't write it down if he could he would be the greatest novelist of our time i used to tell him to try but i've given that up now he can't string three sentences together he can't write an ordinary letter without misspelling every other word he never reads anything that's why his imagination is so untrammeled and it isn't all untrue either he has been all over the world south seas africa china south america russia anywhere you like all sorts of wonderful things have happened to him but it isn't the real things he cares to tell of does he know he's lying i asked <laughs> not the least in the world peter answered laughing and i fancy he'd be most indignant if you accused him of it and the really strange thing is that no one ever does accuse him i can't remember that a single man in france ever challenged his stories and they'd pull anyone else up in a moment you see he never does any harm he's the most generous soul alive thinks the best of everybody and all his stories go to prove that people are better than they ever possibly could be i confess lester i have him here deliberately because he feeds my imagination i'm beginning to feel that i may get back to writing again and if i do it will be bomb that will be responsible how did he do in france i asked very well peter said but he never got the jobs that he ought to have had fellows distrusted him for responsible duty they needn't have he is as efficient as can be his inventive fancy only works over ground that he's never covered in his own job he's an absolute realist is he married i asked no i don't think that women have much use for him he doesn't appeal to them they like to have the storytelling field to themselves he's a man's man absolutely he had a pal in france to whom he was entirely devoted and when the boy was killed i think something cracked in him that's not been mended since he's a colossal sentimentalist cynicism and irony make him sick he thinks i'm a desperate cynic so i am perhaps well i saw a lot of bomb jones he loved westcott more than i did and admired him frantically he knew too something about westcott's many troubles and the maternal spirit that is in every englishman and scotchman came out beautifully in his attitude to him his story soon became part of the pattern of one's life and by no means the least interesting part i quickly understood why it was that his friends allowed him to pursue his wild untrammeled way without rudely pulling him up in the first place truth and fiction were curiously mingled 
he had lived in san francisco for a number of years and many of his tales were drawn from that romantic city he had obviously known well such men as frank norris and jack london and he had been in the place during the earthquake and fire his picture of caruso running out of his hotel in his nightshirt was a masterly one he knew russia well had had tea with wit in the old days and had once dined with rasputin he had shared in the boxer rising run for his life in constantinople and helped a revolution in guatemala and so on and so on but as i have said about his actual experiences he had very little to say it was his fairy tales his fantastic fabricated romances that gave him his remarkable quality and it was about london that these were mostly invented i say invented but were they invented or no there will i think be more men and women than anyone now supposes who will look back to that year nineteen nineteen in london as a strangely fantastic one you might say with some justice that the years during the war with their air raids and alarms and excursions newspaper rumors and trainloads of wounded and dying at charing cross station must have been infinitely more moving i think not in those years at any rate the stage was set for a play in which we must all as we knew act our parts that year that followed the armistice was uncanny uncertain unaccountable many reports there were about cities during wartime none at all so far as i knew about cities just after war london contrary to all prophecy was just twice as full after the war as it had been before it there was nowhere to live little place even for sleeping anyone who had had money had lost it many who had been notoriously penniless now were rich london was moving uncertainly into some new life whose forlorn hope no one could foretell and we were all conscious of this and all perhaps frightened of it it was just this upon which bomb jones unwittingly seized i say unwittingly because he was the least self-conscious of men and the things that came to him arrived without any deliberate agency on his part his stories and anecdotes rising to his lips as naturally and inevitably as the sun rises above the hill he did not i think care for me very greatly i was dried up desiccated with a humour that he could only find morbid and cynical he had too fine and open a nature to suffer greatly from jealousy but i fancy that he very much preferred to be alone with peter and sighed a little when i made an appearance he very soon found himself most happily at home with all the staff of horton's even mr nix the sacred and rubicund head of the establishment liked him and listened wide-eyed to his stories mr nix had met so many strange characters in london and seen so many odd sights that a story less or more did not affect him very deeply certainly captain jones flung his net with greater success than was the general rule never a day passed but he returned with some strange prize it was amusing to see them together in the green hall downstairs with the grandfather clock ticking away at them sarcastically the little man round as a ball neat and dapper efficient his bowler hat a little on one side of his head 
jones his great legs apart his red face ablaze with excitement his large hands gesticulating they were great friends in spite of his withdrawal from me he continued to tell me his stories i began to find it an amusing game to divide the true from the false this was a difficult task because he had a great love of circumstantial detail he would begin lester what do you think of this an hour ago i was going down john street adelphi you know the place behind the strand there where the little theatre used to be you know there's an alley there cutting up into the strand they sell fruit there well i was just climbing the steps when i heard a woman's voice cry out for help i looked back there was not a soul there the street was as empty as your hand i heard a cry again and there was a woman's face at the open window as i looked she vanished i ran back to the door of the house now this may appear somewhat commonplace how many stories and how many magazines have begun in just such an incident this you would say is the cheapest invention not quite jones had always some unexpected circumstantial detail that clamped his tale down as his own i think that he was in reality on certain occasions involved in fights and quarrels that were actual enough i have seen him with a black eye and again with a long scratch down his cheek and once with a torn hand but what he did was to create behind him a completely new vision of the london scene one could not listen to his stories for long without seeing london coloured blazing with light sinister with calculated darkness ringed about with gigantic buildings that capped the clouds inhabited by beings half human half magical half angel half beast i remember when i was young and credulous getting something of this impression from the new arabian nights but for me at any rate stevenson never quite joined the flats i was never finally taken in by his invention but felt to the last that he was having a game with me bomb jones's eloquence had the advantage over the written word of being direct and personal although you might be sure that what he was telling you was not true nevertheless you felt that behind his stories some facts must be lying i know that soon i began to discover that london was changing under my eyes my own drab and dull flat in kensington took a romantic glow i would look from my window down the long street to the far distance filled by the solemn blocks of the museum and would imagine that the figures that crossed the grey spaces were busied on errands about which fates of empire might hang ludicrous for a man of my age who might be said to have experienced all the disillusionment of life well ludicrous or no i walked the streets with a new observation a new expectation a new pleasure and to bomb jones i owed it however it is not of his effect on myself that i want to speak i was too far gone for any very permanent revival it was jones's effect on peter that was the important thing i saw that a new life a new interest a new eagerness was coming into peter's life he laughed at jones but he liked him and listened to him gradually slowly as stealthily as after the rains the water creeps back over the dry bed of the sun-baked river so did peter's desire for life come back to him 
i know that bomb stories are all nonsense he said to me a hundred times a day i'm tempted to break out and ask him how he dares to put such stuff over on us but after all there may be something in it do you know lester i can't go through lester square without knowing whether a murderer isn't coming out of the turkish baths an eastern prince out of thurston's or the queen of the genii peeping at me from a window of the alhambra i've tried several times to get back into things here i tried the ver libristes and i tried the drunkards down at adelphi and i've tried the solemn ones up in hampstead and the good commonplace ones in kensington and it was all no use until bomb came along i hope to heaven he won't stop his stories for another month or two there's a book beginning to move in my head again after ten years just think of it lester dead for ten years i never thought it would come back and now bomb and his stories it's all right i said he'll never stop till he dies but i'd reckoned without one thing something that had never entered my poor brain and as always happens in life it was the one thing that occurred bomb fell in love it is of course a commonplace that you can never discover the reasons that drive human beings towards one another even the good old law of the universal attraction of opposite for opposite does not always hold true but i may say that both peter and i had the surprise of our lives when we discovered that bomb jones cared for helen cather helen was a friend of bobby gallion's who was a friend of peter's alice gallion bobby's wife had been with her on some war committee and the orderliness of her mind her quiet when the other women were pushing and quarrelling her clean serenity upon which nothing however violent seemed to make the slightest stain appealed to alice she took helen home to dinner and discovered that she was a very well-read politically-minded balanced woman too blamed balance for me said bobby who believed in spontaneity and rash mistakes and good red blood he thought however that she would be good for peter so he took her to see him helen and peter made friends and this in itself was odd because helen at once asserted that all peter's ideas about modern literature were wrong she said that peter was a romantic and that to be a romantic in these days was worse than being dead she talked in her calm incisive clear-cut way about the novel and said that the only thing for any novelist to do to-day was to tell the truth and when peter asked her whether invention and imagination were to go for nothing she said that they went for very little because we'd got past them and grown too old for them and peter said thank god he hadn't and never would and he talked about stevenson and dumas until helen was sick she dug up peter's poor old novels and disemboweled their corpses and praised miss somebody or other smiths who wrote only about what it felt like to be out of a job on a wet day when you had only enough money in your pocket to eat a boiled egg in an a b c shop you're sentimental waistcoat she said and you're sloppy and worst of all you're sprightly you've no artistic conscience at all peter laughed at her and liked her and she liked him i don't think that i was at all taken with my first view of her she was thin and pale with pince-nez and a very faint moustache on her upper lip her best feature was her eyes which were good grey steady kindly and even at times they twinkled 
she was neatness and tidiness itself and she sat in her chair quite still her hands folded on her lap and her neat little shoes crossed obstinately in front of her i shall never of course forget the day when she first met baum it was one evening in peter's flat a number of people sat about talking smoking and drinking the galleons were there meredith large and red-faced an old friend of peter's robin trojan and his wife and so on baum was late he burst into the room large untidy and as usual excited i say he began at once i've just come from penter's there's been a fellow there who's the most remarkable man i've ever seen he's going round england with a circus and three of his elephants escaped this afternoon and were found examining cleopatra's needle half an hour ago and being fed with buns by a lot of street boys this chap wasn't a bit alarmed and said they'd be sure to turn up at howerton or somewhere where he'd got a circus if he gave them time he says that one of the elephants is the most intelligent now this story happened as we discovered in the morning to be quite or almost true but you can fancy how helen cather was struck with it elephants she said turning round upon him oh you don't know one another said peter hastily baum this is miss cather miss cather captain jones baum has since declared that he fell in love with his helen at first sight why i can't conceive there was nothing romantic about her she certainly looked upon him on that first occasion with eyes of extreme disapproval everything about him must have seemed dreadful to her a red-hot liar she described him to alice gallian afterwards i remember on that very evening wishing that he had stopped for a moment before he came into the room and tidied himself up a bit his hair wasn't brushed his face was hot and perspiring his waistcoat was minus a button and his shoes were soiled he didn't care of course but sat down quite close to miss cather smiled upon her and poured into her ear all that evening a remarkable series of narratives each one more tremendous than the last peter was amused next day he said wasn't it fun seeing helen cather and baum together fire and water she thought he'd drunk too much i presume she can look chilly when she likes to it was not more than three days after this eventful meeting that the great surprise was sprung upon me i had been given two tickets for the first night of arnold bennett's judith we arrived late and it was not until the first interval that peter could deliver to me his astounding news what do you think has happened he cried i give you three guesses but you may as well resign at once if i gave you a hundred you'd never guess what is it i asked baum is in love with helen cather i was of course incredulous but that's absurd i answered that's worse than any of baum's best stories it's true all the same he assured me he came in this afternoon he can think of nothing else his stories have for the moment all deserted him he told me that he's been awake three nights thinking of her he says that he loved her the first moment he saw her he says that he's never loved a woman before which is i expect true enough and that he's going to marry her well that last isn't true anyway i answered miss cather hated him at first sight my impression that night was that this was simply one of baum's exuberant romantic fancies and that it would pass away from his heart and brain as quickly as many of his stories had done 
i was of course completely wrong he said very little about it to me because he didn't like me and was less naturally himself with me i think than with any one but he talked to everyone else and to peter he never ceased pouring out his soul a week later he proposed to her she refused him of course he was not in the least disturbed he would propose to her again very shortly and then again and again to the end of time i fancied however that that first refusal would be the end of it he would see in a little how absurd his pursuit was and would abandon it i must confess that i looked forward to that abandonment this sudden passion had not from my point of view improved him it made him a little absurd and it had checked absolutely for the moment the flow of his stories i was surprised to find how seriously i missed them then one morning my telephone rang and answering it i recognized miss cather's voice may i come and have tea with you this afternoon she asked why of course i answered i'd be delighted whom shall i invite nobody she answered i want to talk to you i was flattered and pleased any widower of over fifty is pleased when any woman wants to come and have tea with him alone besides i liked miss cather liked her surprisingly in the first place she liked me found my mind truly realistic and my brain well balanced but in reality i liked her i think because i was beginning to discover in her a certain freshness and childishness and even naivete of soul which i had certainly not expected at first but seriousness and balance and austerity of manner did not go nearly as deep as it pretended she knew not nearly as much about life as she herself fancied when she came she had some difficulty in beginning at last it was out captain jones had proposed to her of course it was quite absurd and of course she had refused him he didn't know her at all and she knew quite enough about him to be sure that they would never get on nevertheless nevertheless what did i did i know at least what she meant was that she liked captain jones had liked him from the beginning but there were certain things about him that puzzled her now i knew him well would i tell her i don't know him well i interrupted her that's a mistake we're not intimate at all but i do know him well enough to be sure that he's a good man he's a splendid man i ended with perhaps a little more enthusiasm than i had myself expected she talked a little more and then i challenged her the fact of the matter is miss cather i said that you're in love with him and intend to marry him at this she shook her head indignantly no that was not true at all she did not love him of course she did not but there was something about him difficult for her to describe his childishness his simplicity he needed looking after oh he did need looking after as she said that the whole of the sweetness that was in her nature shone in her eyes and made her austere unyielding almost plain as she was for the moment divine of course you're going to marry him i repeated she shook her head but this time less surely then looking me full in the face and speaking with great solemnity as though she were uttering a profound and supremely important truth she remarked any woman who did marry him would have to stop that lying lying i repeated feebly 
yes lying the stories he tells but they aren't lies i said at least not exactly she emptied then all the vials of her wrath upon my head not lies and what were they then what were those romances if they were not lies was i trying to defend lies in general or only captain jones's lies in particular did i not realize the harm that he did with his stories what had we all been about that we had not pulled him up long ago can't you conceive it as possible miss cather i asked her that lies should occasionally do good rather than harm i don't mean really bad lies of course lies told to hurt people but gorgeous lies magnificent lies lies that keep your sense of fantasy your imagination alive lies that paint your house a fairy palace and your wife a goddess i don't know what you're talking about mr lester she answered me i must confess i'm disappointed in you but i suppose one never knows with a novelist but never mind thank you for your tea i can only assure you that any woman who marries captain jones will have to reform him first good night even after this i did not realize the situation that was upon us i saw now what i had not seen before that she did in truth care for bomb jones that that same affection would affect all our lives i had not yet perceived then two days later came the next development i was sitting in peter's flat waiting for his return when bomb burst in he was a creature transfigured whether by triumph or rage i could not immediately tell he stood there out of breath swelling out his chest struggling for words panting at last they came where's peter oh where's peter not not back he must be back it's always his time to be here just now he must be here lester i'm dumbfounded i've no strength left in me i'm finished what do you think oh but you'll never guess you couldn't miss cather's accepted you i interrupted how did you know how the devil he stared at me as though his eyes were struggling with an unaccustomed light well she has if you want to know and that's remarkable enough but that's not the only thing she she he paused then flung at me with the strangest burst of mingled rage incredulity bewilderment and wonder she says i'm a liar he looked at me waiting a liar i feebly repeated a liar she says she'll only marry me on one condition that i stop my lying when she first said it i thought she was laughing at me then i suddenly saw that she was in the deadliest earnest i asked her what she meant she said that she couldn't conceive that i didn't know that i must know how wicked it was to tell untruthful stories that i did the harm that they worked and so on i a liar i why you might say it about some fellows but about me why lester she simply didn't believe that i'd had any of the fun been to any of the places seen anything of course i i see what it is she's never been anywhere seen anything herself everything's strange to her but to say that everyone knew i was a liar lester tell me you've been about you know i'm not a liar don't you his astonishment was the most genuine thing i've ever faced i admit that i was staggered by it i had not of course supposed that he had deliberately said to himself now to-day i'm going to tell a lie so as to astonish those fellows but i had imagined that he knew quite well it had not been true but here in the face of his most ingenuous astonishment 
what was i to say no jones of course not lies is the wrong word altogether but i do think that sometimes you've exaggerated he stared at me do they all think that well yes they do he resembled then nothing so much as a balloon from which the air has suddenly been withdrawn he sat down my god he said suddenly dropping his head between his great red hands it's true then it was at that moment that i saw the catastrophe that was upon us i saw that baum would be without his tails he would be dull ordinary colourless nothing the salient thing the life the salt the savour would be withdrawn from him and not only baum but all of us myself peter young gale alice galleon even at meredith i saw by my own experience how we should suffer i saw slipping away from under my very nose the whole of that magical world that baum had created and above all that magical london the fairy palaces the streets paved with gold the walls of amethyst the dark shuttered windows opened for an instant to betray the gleaming anxious eyes the bearded foreigner conveying his sacred charge through the traffic of trafalgar square the secrets and mysteries of the bond street jewellers i saw all that and more but after all that was not the heart of the matter we could get on without our entertainment even peter had been brought to life again whether baum went on with him or no the tragedy was in baum's own soul helen cather was slaying him as surely as though she stuck a dagger into his heart and she did not know it she did not know that she was probably marrying him for that very energy of imagination that she was bent upon destroying only months after she had married him she would discover with a heavy and lifeless bomb upon her hands what it was that she had done look here jones i said don't take it too seriously miss cather didn't know what she was saying don't you promise her anything she'll forget don't promise her he looked at me wildly i have promised her of course i have don't i love her didn't i love her the first moment that i saw her i'm never going to tell anyone about anything again well all my worst anticipations were at once fulfilled you may think that this story is about a very small affair but i ask you to take some friend of yours and be aware that he is in process before your eyes of dying from some slow poison skilfully administered by someone you may not in the beginning have cared very greatly for the man but the poignancy of the drama is such that before long you are drawn into the very heart of it it is like a familiar nightmare you are held there paralyzed longing to rush in and prevent the murder and unable to move in no time at all i had developed quite an affection for jones so pathetic a figure was he beneath the stern gaze of his beloved helen not quite of troy as someone said of her he became a commonplace dull negligible creature duller save for the pathos of his position than human very quickly we lost any sense of chagrin or disappointment at our own penalties in the absorption of longing to do something for baum again and again we discussed the affair baum's soul must be saved but how before our eyes a tragedy was developing 
in another month they would be married helen cather would marry the greatest bore in europe and about six months after marriage would discover that she had done so baum was already miserable sitting there silent and morose his tongue tied adoring helen but saying nothing to her lest he should be accused of romancing at last peter insisted that i should speak to her she liked me better than she did the others she would listen to me needless to say she did not not only did she not listen but turned on me ferociously i'm proud of benedict she cried i've cured him of the only fault he had if you think i'm going to turn him back into a liar again mr lester just for the entertainment of yourself and your friends you're greatly mistaken you have a strange notion of morality she was proud but she was uneasy she realized that he was not happy that in one way or another the spring had gone out of him yes thank god she was uneasy well there was the situation there was apparently nothing to be done no way out this is simply the story after all of our blindness just as we had not seen the influence that was to check our bomb so we did not see the influence that would make his fancy flow again it's a wonderful world thank god about a week before the wedding peter westcott said to me lester don't you think that bomb's reviving a little again i fancied i had seen something baum was a little brighter a little less heavy yes i had noticed his fancy is being fed again somewhere said peter again where he tells us no stories no he certainly did not his determination to achieve perfect accuracy was painful it was a case of where have you been baum oh just down to the bank to cash a check the joint stock branch in wigmore street i took a bus up regent street and got off at the circus and so on and so on nevertheless he was reviving the old man was being blown back into him just as surely as one prick of helen cather's determination had let it out where was he feeding his imagination how had he got round his helen's autocracy without her knowing it because she did not know it she was completely satisfied she was even more than satisfied she was i watched her something was happening to her too she was dressing differently her austerity was dropping from her she did her hair in a new way no longer pulling it back harsh and austere from her forehead but letting it have freedom and color she had very pretty hair she was wearing bright colors and pretty hats what was happening the day came when the problem was solved baum's old mother came up to town a dear old lady of nearly eighty who adored baum and thought him perfection she came up for the wedding she was to see helen for the first time it was agreed that the meeting should be at horton's a nice central spot we were gathered there waiting old mrs jones with her lace cap and bright pink cheeks peter baum and myself helen was late you know benedict said the old lady in a voice like a withering canary you've told me very little about helen i've no real idea of her at all a moment's pause and baum had sprung to his feet peter and i spiritually so to speak rushed towards one another 
this was the old attitude we had not seen baum stand like this his legs spread apart his chest out his eyes flashing for weeks the old attitude the old voice the old bomb helen mother he cried and he was off that picture that he drew it was about as much like the real helen cather as the venus de milo is like miss mary pickford in the pictures but it was a glorious picture the portrait of a goddess a genius a sappho the phrases tumbled from his lips in the good old way it was all the old times come back again and how his imagination worked how magnificently he flung his colors about with what abandon he splashed and sprawled for a breathless ten minutes we listened dear me said old mrs jones i do hope she's a good girl as well for myself i sat there entranced the old bomb was not lost he had found or fate had found him a safe outlet after all he could see helen as before he had seen the whole world and it would do for him as well his soul was saved the one question that now remained was how would helen take this glorification of herself would she not resent it as deeply as she had resented the earlier uh, lies on the answer to that question hung the whole of the future of their married life i was soon to have my answer helen came in i did not perceive that old mrs jones felt very deeply the contrast between reality and her son's picture her son was all that she saw he took her home i walked away with helen before we parted she turned to me happiness was burning in her face mr lester she said you've been a good friend to both of us you were all wrong about benedict but i know that you meant it well she hesitated a little i'm terribly happy almost too happy to be safe of course i know that benedict is a little absurd about me has rather an exaggerated idea of me but that's good for me really it is nobody ever has before you know and it's only benedict who's seen what i really am i knew that i had all sorts of things in me that ought to come out but no one encouraged them everyone laughed at them but benedict has seen them and i'm going to be what he sees me i feel free free for the first time in my life you don't know how wonderful that is she pulled the bright purple scarf more closely over her shoulders we've done something for one another he and i really haven't we he's free to me and i well i've stopped those terrible untruths of his in spite of you all i don't believe he'll ever tell a lie again good night we'll see lots of you after we're married won't we oh we're going to be so happy yes now i believe you are i answered what do you mean now she asked didn't you always think so there was a moment when i wasn't sure i said but i was wrong you're going to be splendidly happy and so they are end of story twelve end of the thirteen travelers by hugh walpole